I invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Stand knowing that in the Scripture and in the Scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. I'm actually going to read chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and verses 7 and 8, and then the verses that we consider this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask You today, through the blood of Christ, we come to You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask us that You help us to see more clearly and more faithfully how to walk in love as dear children. How to walk in light according to the truth of Your Word. And, O Lord, how to walk wisely. O Lord, help us to see clearly and help us to know that none of this can happen apart from faith in Christ. O Lord, make us a people today that are thankful because of Your love, Your light, and Your wisdom. We pray it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> to call someone a fool today is usually just sort of a brand of name calling. It's a put down. It's to say somebody's unintelligent or, or, or there's somebody who just makes stupid decisions. They are irresponsible. But in the Scripture, the word fool is not used in that sense. In the Scripture, the word fool is more a moral category than a mental category. In the Scripture, a fool has nothing to do with intelligence. In the Scripture, a fool is one who says in his heart, according to Psalm 14, verse 1, there is no God. That's at the very heart of what it means to live in the world as a fool. To say in your heart, the core of your being, your controlling center, there is no God. You see, whenever you say that, it's not as though nothing takes the place. What you are really saying is, I am my own God. A fool is one who is self-centered. In the place of God is self. Foolishness is marked by a self-destructive self-centeredness. The book of Proverbs puts it this way, Proverbs 12.15, A fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 26.5, A fool is wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 28.26, A fool trusts his own mind. The very nature of sin is walking in the world, acting out in the world, like there is no God. Like there is no one to whom we are accountable. You see, according to the biblical definition, there are plenty of people who are intelligent and geniuses, but fools. There are plenty of people who are incredibly accomplished and gifted, but fools. There's a warning to all of us that we may acknowledge a God but we may walk as fools in the world. 
We may live and order our lives and make decisions as if there is no God. The opposite in the Bible of foolishness is wisdom. We we see this in the very way the book of Proverbs presents this this issue of wisdom. It's it's portrayed as two voices crying out. There's the voice of wisdom and there's the voice of folly. And the question is, which voice will you listen to? And the framing of that is not new. It's supposed to cause your mind to go back to the beginning of the Bible if you're familiar with it. And that is that God speaks the worlds into existence by His sovereign authority and power, by His Word. He creates man and woman in His own image. He speaks to them. But there is another voice that shows up in the garden. It's a voice with a lisp. It's the voice of the serpent. And that voice challenges the Word of God. You see, in the very beginning, our place in this world is framed by these competing voices. The voice of wisdom that comes from God alone. And the voice of folly, of foolishness, that comes from the serpent that questions the words of God. That questions the wisdom of God. That comes in and tells us that what God says is wisdom is really to harm us. As God really said. And He's just keeping you from knowing the fulfillment that you would have if you rejected His words. This is the way it's framed. We live in a battle of voices. The voice of wisdom calls out. And the voice of folly does as well. To be wise is the opposite of being foolish which is a self-centered focus, as if there is no God, the wise person is God-centered, not self-centered. The wise person gives themselves over to the words that God has given us in His self-revelation of the Scripture. The wise person's life is rooted in a commitment to understanding wisdom as God has said. That's why you have in Psalm uh, one eleven verse ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the acknowledgement of God that there is a true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the very foundation upon wisdom that what wisdom can be built. Nothing else, any rejection of God, does not provide a foundation where wisdom can even exist. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And did did you note that second part? He says, all of those who practice it have a good understanding. Practicing wisdom. That's really important. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One, that is God, is insight. Wisdom is this. It is knowledge with God and His Gospel at the center that is skillfully walked out into the streets of life. Knowledge. We know what God has said, but we understand what God has said with Him at the center and with Christ and the Gospel at the center. And everything we do, the walking out of life, is to radiate from and be animated by that reality. In other words, what we are doing is walking out the Gospel. Walking out the truth of who God is. And we... Keep walking it out. And that is how we practice it. It's a practical skill. It's the ability to make good decisions because your heart and mind are tuned to wisdom. You know, not every decision that we have to make has a direct particular Bible verse that clarifies it and settles it. A lot of the decisions that we make... uh, are two, three, four different things. We could all do to the glory of God. 
or two, three, four different things we could all do in a way that doesn't glorify God. So how do we know what to do? We've practiced walking it out and walking in wisdom. And our heart becomes tuned to wisdom. So we develop the ability to make good decisions to the glory of God. Our text this morning is a, this call to walk wise. It follows a call. You heard me read at the beginning to walk in love. Self-sacrificial love of Christ. To walk in love as God's dear children. To, to walk in light. The light that God alone gives. And it's also radically God-centered. In chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God the Father as His beloved children. Chapter 4, verse 20. Learn Christ. Learn the truth as it is in Jesus. God the Son. And then chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The third person of the triune God. Our lives are oriented around the reality of who God is. We imitate the Father. We learn Christ. We walk out the truth as it is in Jesus. And we desire to honor and not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Wisdom comes from a radically God-centered life. But don't forget who it is that is teaching us and calling us to wisdom. When we think about somebody who's wise, we think about somebody generally who has an easy life. Or somebody who has a life that's pulled out apart, not facing the difficulties, so they can sit around and contemplate things. And and so they have this, this wisdom, the sort of guru vision of wisdom. Or we think about the person who's uber successful. And of course, if a person is successful, they're wise. And so, so I want to hear from them. But this man teaching about wisdom recorded in this book that God has given is in prison. A prisoner tells us about wisdom. He's in prison for the preaching of the gospel. He doesn't have an easy life. And he certainly doesn't have a life where he can just sit around and contemplate things and the mysteries of life. He is active and busy. He is preaching the gospel whenever he's out. And then he's persecuted again and again. That's the one who teaches us about wisdom. So let's do away with any notion you might have in the very beginning. All this talk of wisdom, that's sort of an esoteric thing. And I've got so much going on in my life, I don't have time to think about wisdom i got so much going on in my life, I've got to be a fool? That, that doesn't make any sense. The one who teaches us about wisdom, calls us to wisdom, has more going on than any of us. So let's look at verse 15, walk wise. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. It's a command. Look carefully. Actually, in the the Greek, the the first word is the then or the therefore. This is the third one in this chapter. It starts out with, therefore, be imitators of God. Verse 7, therefore, do not be partakers with them. And now, therefore, look carefully how you walk. The word carefully means exactly. Look, Look accurately. Look with focused attention on how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Give yourself over to this. How you walk. We, 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 we've talked about it again and again. It's a powerful image. It, it's talking about how you live your life. But, but it is better to talk about how you walk because it points us to the fact we are active in our lives. That we are walking out something. Every one of us, with the way we order our lives and the decisions we make, we are declaring something about what we believe. You do not make any decision from a neutral standpoint. There's something you believe about the future on which you base the decision in the moment. You believe something good is going to come if you do this. Now the problem is, a lot of times we shrink down our focus to the immediate And what we do is end up serving ourselves rather than God because we believe we know best in the moment, but everybody makes every decision like that. And he says, listen, look carefully. Fix your attention on. Be exact about how you walk. Because there is a way you can walk as unwise, but you are called 
to walk as wise. You can walk wise, he's already said, because you know the love of God in Christ. So walk in His love. Walk out His love. Reflect it in the world. Make decisions on what you do and where you go and how you talk and order your lives based on the love of Christ and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Walk it out. And we can, we can live wisely because we have the light. The light of the world. And now He says that in Christ, we can be described as light. We're to walk out that light in the world. He's already promised us this wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 8 says He's given us all the wisdom we need. It uses the word He has lavished wisdom upon us. In chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays that believers would have the spirit of wisdom. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says the church itself is the multifaceted or multicolored wisdom of God. In other words, all of this is the the reminder that, that in Christ, according to the truth of the Gospel, we have been shown wisdom. When Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, you have heard it said that this is wise, but it's really foolishness we could add there. But I say unto you, what the world describes as foolishness, which is really wise. Things like, the meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Or something like, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. He says everybody else you know will call that foolishness. But you, imitate God who you know in Christ and learn Christ. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, living in an unwise way is to be centered on self, to be captive to your own emotions, captive to your own desires, captive to your own longings. If you are captive to your own longings, you are not walking in self-sacrificial love. If you are captive to your own emotions, you're not walking in God's light as here His dear children. But you already know that it's a really bad idea to walk out every desire and longing and emotion that you have. You already know it. Every person in this room knows it. But what you have to do is remind yourself of it when it comes, when you feel like because something is not unfolding the way you want it to, God is... Not good. God is not doing right by you. You already know it. Just think about it for a moment. In your mind, if you got every single thing that you ever desired, the moment you desired it, would your life be better or worse? There's a way that seems right to a man. But its end is destruction. That's what the book of wisdom tells us. Oh, you're sitting there in that junior high classroom. If I could just get this, if I could just date her, that'll be it'll be great. But oh, thank you, God, for unanswered prayer. Right? We would all have sabotaged our lives over and over again. You understand this. But what we've got to do is have the frame of reference when those feelings come that extends out to God. The Gospel. We've got to relearn Christ in those moments and and walk it out. You see, this wisdom is a fundamentally neglected discipline in our world today. You You can get discipleship manuals all over and go look at them and try to find the discussion in those discipleship manuals on wisdom. It's almost impossible to find. We just don't talk about the importance of wisdom very much. We are enamored by and we overvalue intelligence. We act as though intelligence equals godliness. 
We act as though those, those people we know who are really intelligent about the Christian faith or Christian doctrine, Christian teaching, means that they are really godly. That godliness is somehow a byproduct of intelligence. I've got news for you. Some of the most intelligent people in the world not professing Christ are professing Christ are some of the most foolish people in the world. If you think that intelligence equals godliness, then you're wrong. And you're not reading the book. Or we're also enamored with, um, we're enamored with personality. Somebody who has a lot of charisma. And if somebody's really outgoing, if they call attention to themselves, if they act like they know what they're talking about, they're in charge, and they're like, look, look, let's do this. We think, oh man, that person, that person's wise. Wise people are loud and out there and, and, and always teaching, and that person is wise. In the Bible, that is totally overvalued and something we should not be enamored by. In fact, loud people who call attention to themselves are rarely ever marked by godly wisdom. Showiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Many possess these qualities who are unwise, who are foolish. You know what the wise usually are? Careful. Constant. Consistent. They're usually plotters who rarely call attention to themselves. But they are living a life of skillfully practicing righteousness on the daily. That's who usually is wise. Oftentimes, the wisest person in the congregation will never stand up here and say anything. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've interacted with people whom I know way more theology than, but my interaction with them is like, I need that person desperately because they are wise in a way that I am not. It's not intelligence. It's not subsumed in some personality and giftedness. That's ridiculous. Being wise is walking it out. Some people walk it out in the most difficult of circumstances. Some people walk it out and have nothing that brings applause according to the patterns of this world. But we understand that the wise are these who look carefully at how they walk. And those people who practice that are really good at telling us the path of wisdom. Look at verse 16. Walk wise by knowing the times and redeeming the time. Verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I love the translation redeeming the time. This is actually the, the word that's used here that's in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Or Galatians 4.3, to redeem those under the law, talking about what Christ has done. He purchased us back. We were captives. We were slaves. He brought our, bought our freedom. He set us free. And here it says that we are to be those who redeem the time. The particular word uh, for time here is a word that means opportune time. But it seems to be talking about all of our time is to be seen by us as an opportune time. You see, the call here is clear. It's that the redeem. The, the, the redeemed of God by the blood of Christ spend their lives redeeming the time to the glory of the Christ who saved them. Redeem the time. Look carefully on how you walk. And notice what he says here. He says to do it because the days are evil. I expect him to say, although the days are evil. Just do this although the days are evil. He doesn't. He says because of the word can be traded, translated since. You see the difficulties that we face living in a culture that is dominated by evil are not something that keeps us from walking wise by redeeming the time. They are the very ground that we're called to do it. We're called to display the difference in a fallen world. And we could say it this way. 
when we look at the fallen world and the evil uh, culture, we are, we are meant for this. We're to be those who display the wisdom of Christ. Those who do not order our time in self-centered ways like everybody else. But we are, we are not careless or thoughtless. The cost of redeeming the time is the, the focused attention and carefulness to imitate God, to, to learn Christ, to, to not grieve the Holy Spirit, not to waste our time. I once know, knew a youth leader, and once the youth got a certain age in the youth ministry, he would have a parent's banquet, and he would give each of those parents a, a jar of marbles. And in that jar of marbles, there was one marble for every day from that point of that banquet till the time that child turned 18. And every day the parent was supposed to take one out. Why do you think that is? They would see that time is running out on that level of influence in the child's life. Make choices understanding that that jar of marbles, there are none coming in. There's only some coming out. Order your life in such a way that you can get to the end of it and say, I redeemed the time with my children the best I could. I did not forsake that responsibility. But that's true of all of our lives. You see, we're to be that intentional. We're we to, to see clearly that this day is not to be lived for myself, but this day is to be lived for Christ, this day is to be lived in a way that, that it is so clear that our lives are not dominated by our own desires. And as a community, we are to walk wise in a world of folly. We're to walk in love and light no matter what. We're to walk that way with no compromise, no holy huddle, no withdrawal from the world as though we're afraid of what we face in the world. We, we, don't, we don't get together and pat each other on the back and say, oh, isn't it great that we've got the truth and let's just keep the, the world out of this. No, we engage the world. We aren't afraid of the world. We aren't afraid of the conversation. We aren't afraid of the truth. We're not afraid of being persecuted for being light in the world. Uh, in fact, it is powerful when somebody's persecuted and says, you may persecute me, but I will love you. That's what we're called to in this world. But let me be really clear. You don't redeem the time accidentally. Do you hear that? You don't redeem the time accidentally. What you do not plan to do, you do not really plan to do. And you have time for what you make time for. You do not redeem the time accidentally. If you just exist and you aren't looking carefully at how you walk, then you will not redeem the time. You will waste the time. You must be intentional and focused. One of the disciplines I developed in my life a few years ago is I wake up every morning, and one of the things I do before I get going with the day is something called sorting. People know you sort your schedule. Okay, this priority, and this is what I'm doing today. But, but I don't want to just sort my schedule where this body is going to be. I want to sort my thought life. Because... I have thoughts that come into my head every day, and this feels really important, but when I step back, when I apply the Scripture to it, when I, when I apply learning Christ to it, I realize that's not that important, and that should not dominate my thinking for the day. So I'm going to order my life in a way that doesn't dominate my thinking. There's something over here. It's real easy for me to avoid this over here, but it's so clear as I think about it and pray about it and think about the Gospel. This actually matters a whole lot, so I'm going to order my thought life today to focus on this. Sorting. Redeeming the time. What will I think about today? What will I give my mind over to today? How will I take every thought captive to obey Christ? How will I know nothing among them but Christ and Him crucified? How will I redeem the time today? By the way, knowing the times are evil. But look at verse 17. We walk wise by understanding the will of God. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish. 
The focus here is not on thinking, it's more on practical folly. The folly that's walked out or lived out. Falling in line with the evil world that, that lives as if there is no God. To, to sort of have our steps fall in line with that rather than fall in line to the Gospel. We can be foolish like this in two different directions. We can compromise with the world and just simply say, okay, I know what's over here, but man, it's easier just to fall in and live over here. Or we can, we can uh, declare war on the world and, and pull out and not engage the world. Both of those are, are actions of fear. What the Gospel has given us is courage, boldness. We want to engage the world and we want to engage the world unapologetically. Now, some say here, well, it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Some people say, well, that's the problem, preacher. I do not know what the will of the Lord is. I've been trying to figure it out, and I just can't. When somebody says that, what you're actually saying is, I know what you have said, God, but you should have said more. You know, my kids sometimes try to, well, I didn't know what you wanted me to do. Which means they come up with some technicality of, it was clear what I wanted them to do, but they were not specifically, so they're off the hook for not doing anything. They're not off the hook, by the way. But you know what to do. Understand what the will of the Lord is. God has revealed Himself. God has pointed you the direction. What you're saying is that, God, you have given me a direction and told me what to do, but I want details. God's never promised you details. He's caused you to walk by faith. See, understanding the will of the Lord, there's something that you learn by walking in the direction that God has for you without the details that you wouldn't learn if you had the details. It is a grace of God in your life. Not to give you all the details. He grows us. He strengthens us. He matures us. Just like there's a sense in which you send your children off and they have to learn things. You don't make every decision for them the rest of your life. You don't tell them everything the rest of your life. There's something you learn as you lean into something and as you walk it out. I want you to notice here though, the very assertion understand what the will of the Lord is means that we can understand what the will of the Lord is. The very assertion means that it's possible. Now this is not a mere obeying a list of rules. Understanding what the will of the Lord is starts with salvation. And and just think about the, the salvation as they learn the will of the Lord quickly. Okay, I put my faith in Christ. Oh, the Gentile whom I hated is now my brother in Christ and I've got to walk that out wasn't always easy. There's all kinds of conflict and problems in the church. But in walking it out, they grow into it and they are transformed. We have the words of God in the Scripture. We are to pray to the God who's revealed Himself to us in Scripture. We are to be thankful for His blessings. We are called to a community that gathers around Christ, the Gospel, His Word, prayer, and thankfulness. The community, we, we learn to understand the will of God. The direction that God gives is His will. We say, God says um, that thankfulness is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. And we say, okay, but I don't understand how I can be thankful in this situation. And He says, thankfulness is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but some details about how that works here. No. There's a bloody cross and an empty tomb. The benefit of the doubt always goes in that direction. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, then guess what? Being thankful is the will of God in Christ Jesus no matter what we face. Now, think about it like this. Think about about Paul in Galatians, where he opposes Peter. Peter is eating with certain people, but when some of the other Judaizers and false teachers are around, he pulls away because he doesn't want to be seen with them, and he's doing all this, and Paul is looking at this. Notice how Paul describes it. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel, then he confronted them. 
when I saw that they were not walking out the truth of the gospel, that they were not walking in wisdom, but rather they were walking in foolishness, therefore I confronted them. This is what it means to understand the will of the Lord. We know what God has said, so we walk it out. And when we walk it out, we learn it in a way that we could not learn it if we just sit around and think about it. I love Andrew Fuller here. He says, it's not what we think officially, but spontaneously that proves what we are. Not what we do at certain appointed seasons, but the bent of our minds in common in our leisure hours when we sit in the house or walk by the way. Engaging in the work without the heart is the forerunner and cause of many scandals. It's not what we think officially. See, Peter knew officially what was true. If you'd have given him the theology quiz, he would have gotten it right. But when it was going to cost him something, he pulled away from walking in line with the gospel to walking another way, so Paul confronted him. When he is forced to walk in line with the gospel, then he learns to understand the will of the Lord in ways that he wouldn't if he did not. Walk wise. Redeeming the time. Understanding the will of the Lord. And finally, in verses 18-21, through 21, walk wise by being filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. The word means uh, that is wasteful, excess, reckless, dissipation, riotness. The word is sometimes translated, that is unsaveness. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, here's the contrast, be filled with the Spirit. And be filled is passive, meaning by God. Be filled by God with the Spirit, or literally in Spirit. Like the Bible talks about being in Christ, we are in spirit. Spirit here, we have a tendency to think in, in, in terms of like it's a force and it's something that infuse. No, the spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit of God. We want to live our lives in such a way as we are filled in spirit. We are yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. But notice the contrast here. Do not get drunk with wine. Why does he choose that? What's well, a common, concrete example of the way people walk in foolishness? Why is it people tend to get drunk? Because they think it benefits them. People talk about uh, liquid courage. People talk about settling the nerves. People talk about dealing with stress. And so they turn to, to drunkenness. And how do you get drunk? You drink and drink and drink. And the more you keep getting drunk, the more you have to drink, 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 and drink. And the more you keep doing that, the more you have to drink, drink, drink. There, there's no end on it. And you're consumed with it. And it's an escape. And it says it makes me feel better. I am filled with ease when I am drunk. But then when I come out of it, I'm not filled with ease, so I get drunk again. It's a powerful image that was going on at this time. And like sex, was also tied to ritual worship. Drunkenness tied to the religious systems of the false teachings of the day. So it was all around. And he says, do not get drunk with wine. Do not come under the sway of wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why does he choose it? Because this is something that can transform you, that changes the way you act, that gives you courage that you wouldn't have, that helps you deal with your anxiety that doesn't go away. And that is good for you at all times, in all places. Be filled in Spirit. Do not yield to the temptation for drunkenness to be what delivers you, yield your life to the Spirit of God. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God is at work in the world to make much of Jesus. That the God the Holy Spirit brings the words of Christ to our mind. Uh, and, and the Bible says that we're given the Scripture by the work of the Spirit. Holy men of God wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. So you want to yield to the Spirit? How do you do that? Well, you come to the words of God and you understand that it centers on Christ. So the parallel text for this section is the one in Colossians which has the what's to follow, but it starts not with but be filled by the Spirit, but let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Give our lives over to the words that God has given that's centered on Christ because the Holy Spirit is 
given us the word and is making much of Jesus. And so keep yielding yourself to that reality. When someone comes to faith, they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are, Ephesians 1.13, sealed with the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And in our lives, we are to be yielding to the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are, we are filled in Spirit. So Christ, the Word, we pray. The Spirit helps us when we pray, the Scripture says. And we flee to the people of God who have been brought together by the work of Christ who all have the indwelling Spirit of God. And when it talks about after, what it, what it looks like when a people are filled with the Spirit, what he talks about is something that none of us would come up with. When we, if, we were, if you were to give it a questionnaire, and you know, what, is it, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? I think we would go a long way down the list before we would come up with what he says. You know what he says? He says, you sing. You sing. You sing the truth of God that centers on Christ. And you sing among the people of God. And you sing in a way that your heart is so obviously committed to the truth that you sing. He says, here's what people who fear with the Spirit does. They, they sing out to one another. They sing up to the Lord. And they sing in, transformed in heart. Look with me. Verse 19. Addressing, or probably most literally speaking. Addressing one another. What does it say here? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, there's ideas about here is this, is this, Song sung joyfully with instruments. Is this a reference to the Psalter exclusively here to start with? Hymns is this song of praise. Is it festive praise of gathering together? Is it, does it have a gospel focus here of, of things that, 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 that are sung related particularly to the gospel? Spiritual songs, sacred songs. Is this, is this celebrating the acts of God? Are these spontaneous songs among the people of God? But the real point here is not delineating the differences between these. They are put together. These are forms of singing to the glory of God. And we are to do it to one another. When you sing in this gathered assembly, you are not singing to yourself. You're singing to one another. I need to hear you sing. You need to hear me sing. We are not wasting time when we're singing. We're demonstrating what it means to be filled in spirit. We cannot but help to sing. The people of God have always sung. The people of God will always sing. A new heaven and new earth is filled with song. It is a manifestation of being filled in spirit. You cannot help it. Imagine someone who had an incredibly great voice. They rejected the idea of God. But they had an incredible voice. They had a, a love for song. But they lived an isolated life. and no, They lived by themselves their entire life. Imagine how frustrated they would be. You don't sing to yourself. Oh, you may sing alone sometimes, but, but you're to sing to God, knowing that He hears. If you reject the idea of God, who do you sing to? Song demands people. Right? You, how many of you hear a good song and say, oh man, that's a really good song. Let me make sure nobody else ever hears this song. Oh, you know, oh man, I heard this song. Let's listen to it together. My kids will have those earphones and one will have one in and one will have the other in. I'm like, that's got to sound terrible. They're meant to be, both be in, right? But, but it's a expression, you cannot help it. That's what he's saying here. We sing to one another. Self-consciously, we are here singing to one another. Whether you sing well or not well, we sing out. We sing to one another. But he says more than that here. When he says singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart means that our focus as we sing together is on the Lord according to the truth of His Word and the Gospel. And it has invaded the very core of our being in so, such a way that it can be described as heartfelt. The outward expression of joy in song is to match the inward depths of our being. 
Songs grip us and grab us. As we sing out, we sing up. And it has transformed us in the core of our being. And so that song is in, out, and up, and in is the pattern of our song life together. We so minimize this. Think about the Apostle Paul and Silas who were thrown in prison. It says that they were taken to the the lower area of the prison, meaning there would be no lights, pitch darkness in there, and they were placed in stocks. And what does it tell us that they did in Acts 16, 24, and 25 together? They sang hymns. He's no hypocrite. Why was he singing hymns? Because there's a power in singing the truth. Because he needed hope in that moment. And he needed to remember to learn Christ, to imitate God, not to grieve the Holy Spirit in a dark, damp dungeon in stocks. The Gospel was still true. And so he sung it. Singing has this power in our lives. And we must recognize it. We underestimate and undervalue the place of song in discipleship and in our spiritual battle. But look at verse 20 and 21. Giving thanks. There are participles here. Addressing or speaking to one another. Singing. And then giving thanks. And then submitting. Giving thanks when? Always. For what? And for everything. To whom? To God the Father. By whom? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks. Those who are filled with the Spirit must give thanks. The reason I named this sermon Be Thankful is you'll remember in the other section, the put on from putting off all forms of sexual immorality was, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And now we're here in this section about being filled by the Spirit of God and we're to be those who are giving thanks. You see, thanksgiving is a chief put on all the time. And thanksgiving is a primary fruit of a people who believe the Gospel is true. A primary fruit. Paul says in Philippians, when we complain, we add to the darkness. But when we praise in the midst of the darkness, we add to the light in the world. We are to be those who are thankful and thankful in all things. And then finally, verse 21, which ends this section, but also begins the next, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, those filled with the Spirit have transformed relationships. And it means this, that no longer do you view any of your relationships as merely transactional. Relationships are an opportunity to serve. So your thinking about relationships is not just thinking about what I get out of this. It's thinking about how can I serve and reverence Christ in this relationship. No matter what it is. Relationships are opportunities to serve. Relationships outside of our relationship with God are never saviors. Many of us put too much on our relationships and therefore we put too little into our relationships. Do you see that? If I put too much on it, this relationship will do this for me. If I get married to this person, that will make me happy. They'll complete me. Everything will be good because we're like puzzle pieces who fit together. And then all of a sudden that piece is hard to get in. Right? That's not the way it is. Like you're asking too much. And so when it doesn't fit like you thought it would... We pull away. I'm not getting out of it what I thought I would get out of it, therefore I'm not investing in it. But when we say it's an opportunity to serve and God's going to change me, and the fact it doesn't fit sometimes is my opportunity to serve, now we have relationships that are no longer transactional, but relationships that we do out of reverence for Christ, no matter how difficult they are, because there is something more in every relationship than that relationship, and it's the relationship with God in Christ. Do you see that? Let, let me summarize like this. Being wise starts with God and the Gospel. There are, no, there are no tips here that bypass God and the Gospel. You don't have the ability to walk this out apart from faith in Christ. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Today is a day for you to do just that. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. Give up on any trust of saving yourself or making yourself content. You can't do it. You weren't made to be able to make yourself content. You're made for God. So being wise starts with God in the Gospel. But secondly, being wise takes practice walking it out. That means that if we're to be faithful disciples, yeah, that involves our head. Some things that we know. That involves our heart. Things that we know that we embrace. But it involves our hands and feet as well. The evangelical church in America has a crisis. Big heads, little hearts, little hands, little feet. Just ask yourself, when was the last time I saw something clear from the Word of God and I knew something I needed to do and I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway? Or do you just sort of kind of do the Christian things that you feel okay about and never actually disobey your gut about the other stuff? Then you can't walk in wisdom. Walking in wisdom takes practice. And there's stuff that you learn walking it out that you can't learn in any other way. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank You for Your perfect and precious Word. I want to thank you for the opportunity to open it this morning. And I want to pray for an army of people who are committed to walking it out. Some walking it out means putting their faith in Christ for the first time. And for many, walking it out means an absolute commitment to understand the will of God that you have revealed to us, Lord, and to act on it no matter what, to walk wise that our lives, our hearts, our minds might become attuned to the way of wisdom. We pray it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.